Welcome to the Apawa Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to find out more about our church, visit us on any Sunday or online at opawa.org.nz. Well, it's actually uh, fun to be here. Um, I've got lots of memories of this place. Uh, this is where I began my spiritual journey. Um, and, of course, quite a few familiar faces from back in those days when I became a believer. So it is terrific to be here, and I uh, just want to say I, I um, do um, respect you all and, and the, you, the, the way you've been following Jesus over the years, those of you who are older. Uh, you're an encouragement to me, and it's, it's great to be here and to feel the warmth this morning of this, this group. Forty-six years ago, when I was 17, do the maths, <laughs> uh, on the spot, approximately, I think, the old church is where we used to meet in the old days, but on the spot, um, there were three of us, and we met uh, in, a, in a house, I think it was called something like Fellowship House, or was it the library, about here, Fellowship House, and um, there was Warren, there was Rowley, and there was me. I was 17, they were 18, and uh, we would meet once a week, uh, very simply, and uh, we would encourage one another in our faith in, uh, in Jesus, and um, we'd spend some time praying together, reading the Bible, and, and sharing our lives. And uh, it was absolutely transforming for me. It, was, it ruined my life. I could not, from then on, be a consumer type believer. I had to make a contribution. Initially it was quite awkward because um, I uh, didn't, is this ringing a little or is that my, you getting it? Yep. Uh, I didn't know anything you see, even though I'd grown up in the church a bit, I, um, I, didn't, I didn't know how to pray and, and it seemed that Warren and Rowley uh, were light years ahead of me and so, uh, and, and with my friends, I mean, we were out cruising the streets before I became a Christian, and you'd never sit down and get real and share what was really going on. But here we were sharing what was really going on, reading the Bible, praying. And sometimes I'd find uh, in the, the day leading up to the meeting, I think, well, I'm not sure I really want to go. But then I'd go and have, uh, have the time, and, and by the end of the time, I was thinking, man, this is fantastic. This is like an adventure. And it was. It was terrific. So uh, it was uh, foundational in my life. So what was happening? Well, if you want to turn to your Bibles, and I'm going to go to various passages in the Bible, um, you, if you're quick enough, you can follow me. The passage is Colossians 3.16. Colossians 3.16 was what was happening here. And it says in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another. This is in the old translation. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, giving thanks in your hearts to God. Here we were, you know, we were, we were just teenagers. But we were doing this. We were sharing the word of Christ, praying for one another, and, uh, and something very special was happening. What we were doing was Hebrews 3.12. 
Hebrews 3.12 says this, See to it, my brothers, that no evil, unbelieving heart is found in any of you as shown by by your turning away from the living God. Here's verse 13. Instead, continue to encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So we were helping one another to avoid some of the pitfalls and, and traps of that stage of life. We were accountable. We were talking about our lives, talking about the things we were struggling with. It was terrific. Fast forward to today. Tomorrow night, I'm going to pop in on a a group. I sort of have an open invitation to a group of uh, young men and women who are a little older. They're in their 20s. And uh, I look forward to this group uh, a heap. I don't know how they have me in the group, but anyway, somehow it works. Uh, and they're great friends. And these people are builders, they're teachers, they're nurses. Um, some of them were in our student groups and they graduated out. And um, the core of this um, group, they actually live in this large house, seven bedrooms. And the core of this group had the idea that it set up the group so that they could really encourage one another. And it's like a railway station. It's terrific. Um, people love to come and, uh, and meet and hang out and so on, and they do all sorts of cool stuff. Um, and, um, but one night, uh, Monday night, they've set aside to have a meal together and encourage one another to follow Jesus. Now recently, uh, in this group, a couple of weeks back, I was particularly struck by what happened. Um, they were discussing James. They're working through James. I have a few verses from James. In fact, I think they watch a little video and then have the Bibles open and they're talking uh, from this passage in James. And it was at that part where it talks about going through tough times. So they got to talking about this. Um, and they got on to depression. So they're talking about depression, but it wasn't depression in the abstract. One of the guys there was depressed. And he was the leader. What impressed me was how easily they talked about it. He was, he was coming out. It, it wasn't without emotion. There were moist eyes. And two of the flatmates said they found it quite hard when their friend, the flatmate and friend, got depressed because he has these episodes. <clears throat> uh, but they shared how this time it was a little different for them. And God had shown them that this was an opportunity for them to love their friend and to really support him. So they're talking about this in the group and the the guy was uh, sharing how, how much he appreciated that. And it was such a positive, hopeful time. And you could just sense that they were experiencing the love of God together. It was terrific. No sense of him being a failure spiritually, not having enough faith to be healed, just grace and love. Beautiful love. So what's going on here? Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labour. If they stumble, the first will lift up his friend. But woe to anyone who is alone when he falls and there is no one to help get him up. 
Again, if two lie close together, they will keep warm. But how can one stay warm, only one stay warm? If someone attacks one of them, the two of them together will resist. Furthermore, a tri-branded cord is not soon broken. So what we've got is a group of friends looking after one another. What's happening here? James 5.16 Therefore make it your habit to confess your sins to one another and to pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, I am giving you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. This is how everyone will know you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. Did you notice that last bit of that verse? This is how everyone will know you are my disciples. What we're describing here is people being disciples of Jesus together. This is what it looks like. And this, for me, captures the heart of what it means to be part of a disciple-making community. And I have three points this morning about discipleship, being part of a disciple-making community, discipling one another. It's not a a word in common usage, but we're going to kind of define it. Three things that are characteristic of discipleship. It's relational, it's focused, and it's intentional. First of all, relational. The Greek word uh, translated as disciple in the Bible is the word mathetes. It means to be a learner. My son will like this. We get our word mathematics from this uh, root word. And my son teaches mathematics. This, unfortunately, can give us the wrong idea about the concept. Now, um, Jeremy will say there's a bit of a revolution taking part in terms of how maths is done and inquiry learning and all sorts of things. But for most of us, when we think of mathematics, we probably think of uh, stuff that's kind of academic, learning from books, rote learning, mechanical learning, classroom learning. This entirely misrepresents the concept. Because the heart of being a disciple is to be a learner. And a learner by following. So that's why some translations just use the word follower. In Jesus' time, rabbis gathered around them a little set of uh, disciples. And um, the idea was that they would learn by constant exposure to the rabbi, to his teaching, his example, in the context of everyday life. And this is, of course, what Jesus did. Mark 3.14, it says he appointed 12 to be with him and to be sent out to teach. So the concept at its core is this association at a life-on-life level to learn in a relationship. Probably more like our apprentice situation today. 
And that didn't stop with Jesus. When Jesus had left and the disciples carried on the mission, guess what? They did the same thing. So we have a passage like 2 Timothy 3.10 where Paul is talking uh, to his um, uh, uh, son in the faith, a growing disciple. Timothy, you have observed my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith. How do you, how do you observe some person's purpose? My patience, my love, my endurance. You have observed these things. In Philippians 4.19, he talks to a church where he'd uh, helped plant uh, this church and and, uh, he'd spent time with them. And he said this in Philippians 4.19, Likewise, keep practicing these things. What you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me. Then the God of peace will be with you. So this is relational learning. This is not self-directed, independent learning. It's all about the transmission of life. It's learning from one another. Winston Churchill once said, I love to learn, but I hate to be taught. Now, I don't know all that he meant by that. I hope he didn't mean that he was not open to learning from other people. But So many of us, we want to, we want to do our own learning. We want to uh, be in control. But... This concept of discipleship means a commitment to be together, to receive and learn from one another. This is not learning by Google. Remote learning. Skype and Facebook might be a little bit better. There's a bit of a relational thing in there. Um, But they are poor cousins to true discipleship learning. So, discipleship is relational. Now, a corollary of this, feeding on from this, is it's focused. So we're looking at relational, focused, intentional. Now we're on to focused. When I got interested in uh, discipling, I was um, given uh, this piece of advice. Linton, you can either be a mile wide and an inch deep, or you can be an inch wide and a mile deep. He clearly thought deep. Was better. And his point was that if you relate deeply with a few, if you move beyond the superficial and you relate deeply, eventually there will be breadth of impact, there will be influence. Many of the parables of Jesus have this concept built in Uh, seeds being planted, good soil. There's a sense in which you have to wait, but if you have good quality seed and good quality soil, that eventually a, a multiplied harvest or a, a multiplied effect will come. Now, while the church did not duplicate the rabbinical model that Jesus uh, uh, had, they, they didn't give up fishing and their vocations and for several months have 24-7 some sort of intensive uh, arrangement, they clearly understood that discipleship learning could not be accomplished in large meetings, like this one. They knew knew that relational learning, by definition, requires focus, requires concentration, 
the need to be a few relationships and everyone should be involved. There should be no passive people. Now, one of the clear indications that this is true is a telling little phrase in the New Testament that gets repeated over and over. We've already had it in a number of the verses that we've looked at this morning. It's the phrase, one another. And if you do a a search on that phrase, you will be amazed. The, The New Testament church understood the priority of the one another's. So, a few one another's. Here's one of them. The classic one we've already had. I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. By this, all men will know you're my disciples if you have love one for another. So, Rob says, love one another from the front. What are you going to do with it? Well, kind of feel good about everyone in the church or do a little bit of this and that. If you're going to love one another... It has to come down to a few relationships. Here's another one, 1 Peter 2.22. Love one another deeply, intently, from the heart. Here's another one. We've had this one already this morning. Hebrews 3.13. Continue to love one another, continue to encourage one another every day. Now we're really getting into some, some heavy... Concentration, are we not? It can't be done once a week. It's got to happen in the context of a few relationships. Now, in the New Testament, they did this in a rather cunning way. And I think part of doing this sort of stuff is you've got to read your culture. You've got to figure out how you're going to accomplish, uh, put into practice the principles. Um, In Greek and Roman society in the first and second centuries, before that, it was kind of largely organised around households and uh, guilds or trades. It was very much like a Downton Abbey situation where you had servants, family and extended family kind of living in one another's lives uh, uh, and sharing a daily contact with one another. And discerning readers of the New Testament will discover the word household pops up every now and then. The church in someone's house and so on. There were no significant church buildings, not until the end of the second century, um, I believe. Occasionally they'd rent a hall because these larger meetings are also valuable. But the point was, there was a lot of life-on-life stuff happening uh, and they capitalised on it. Listen to this quote. This is from Rodney Stark, who's a uh, sociologist, who studied much of uh, studied you know, New Church growth, New Testament, early church growth. Here's the quote. I'm going to read a paragraph. Most church growth took place through social networks. The average Christian was deeply involved in the spread of Christianity. The Romans made the mistake of assuming that Christianity was like paganism being heavily dependent on its leadership. Therefore, they assumed that persecution of the leaders would stifle the movement. And they left the average Christian free to do pretty much what he or she wanted in most places, most of the time. 
Because Christianity was a true mass movement, however, even the martyrdom of pillars of the church, such as Peter, James, and Paul, did little or nothing to slow down the growth of the church. They left the average Christian alone, but these were the ones who were doing most of the damage. In the final analysis, it was not the miracles of itinerant evangelists that impressed the populace, but the exemplary lives of ordinary Christians. Uh, One thing that fascinates me is that the word disciple, we'll find it in the Gospels in the book of Acts, but you don't find it in the letters. Now, I don't make too much of this. So the the term kind of gets dropped when Paul and the various other people are writing these letters to the churches. They replaced it by what other terms, do you think? Brother, sister. The family terminology. Can you see where the church was going? Quality relationships, family-like relationships. So occasional, formal, superficial relationships will not carry the message to a needy world. We need to get real and we cannot leave discipleship to a few paid professionals. Now we're not Downton Abbey, so we need to be smart about this in our fast-paced 21st century. How are we going to uh, do in order to find ways to have depth of relating so that life on life can take place? My friends, the young workers, they address that problem by deciding, hey, we could live together. And they've set up this flat. It's a creative way. They just don't have the margin. Life's too busy. So they can actually create a place where this can happen, both for their non-believing friends being interested and others. Um, Warren and Rowley and I, we uh, back in uh, those early days, we found a room in the church building and Rowley wasn't far around the uh, neighbourhood here and so I don't know how but we, we, we found a time where we could get together and found a nice place an older group of men I, uh, I cycle with I love cycling, I'm a road cyclist and we do a, a monthly cycle time it's not very frequent but we cycle out to Raspberry Cafe and, and then we sit in our um, cycling gear it's Bit of a sight, but anyway, we sit there and have coffee and share life together. I have another group of friends who are in the young family stage and you know, having babies and all that sort of stuff, and they decided they would actually live in the same neighborhood. So they moved over to Limwood uh, in order to get some of this life on life stuff. Of all the doable things we can do to get this sort of uh, thing going, Probably the simplest is a small group, an intentional small group with some of our friends. In our culture, there's all sorts of stuff. There's quiz nights, there's um, sports nights, there's reading groups. It's kind of part of our culture, evenings, small group. It's quite acceptable. Uh, It's the way people do small groups or, or how they connect socially. You could do it at a cafe, meet at a cafe. That's another thing. Although I'm, I think that's more individual uh, sometimes. But. So 
to me, it's a no-brainer. Set up a small group. Become part of a small group. Invariably, uh, setting up a group takes a bit of effort and it can be awkward. I find my way into lots of small groups. I'm almost a small group junkie, but uh, as part of my job, this last week I was in a student small group. And uh, so we were setting up the small group and the nervous facilitators got, got us doing all these stupid things about uh, what would you like to do if you're invisible, you know, and other questions that were kind of a bit can sort of stage things, but the idea was just to help us kind of get to know one. It can be a little, it's a bit of effort, you know, to start. And it can be a bit of awkward. One of the leaders said, look, it might feel a bit like this at the beginning, but we're going to get to know one another. And we're going to get to trust one another. And I've seen it over and over again. In fact, with the students, it only takes a year. And some of those people are friends for life. And I think it's so exciting. Um, yes, so being part of a small group. And, and let me just sit on that point a bit, a, a, a bit again, the friends for life. The fantastic thing about becoming part of a small group is that it easily leads to something that I think is even more powerful. And that's what I would call faith friendships, spiritual friendships. Fellow travellers, intentional one-to-one relationships. And that's our third point. Discipleship is relational, uh, it's focused, and it's intentional. And I love that you're seeing your, your mate, Rob, uh, over... I don't know what the name, your uh, mate's name is. You may have mentioned it. It is Rob, is it? So uh, somewhere along the line, a relationship developed that's been lifelong. Uh, and this can so easily fall out of the small group situation. We get to know one another. I'm also going to Australia uh, two weeks from now. And the reason I'm going is to visit uh, my uh, mentor when I went to Adelaide as a young graduate who uh, helped me in so many ways uh, as I was learning how to become a leader and how to uh, learn to teach God's word and all that sort of thing. This guy, Ray Ewers, uh, he was my, my mentor. He's now in his 80s. But I'll never forget one thing he said to me when I was uh, there in, in my early 20s. He said, Linton, do you know what keeps me going? No. <laughs> he says, I have three friends deep friends, who believe in me. People who are committed to me. And being in a discipleship community involves developing intentional, personal, committed relationships that count. Jesus knew this, of course. In John 15.5 he said, after he had travelled for some time with his small group, and towards the end, He got them aside and he said, I'm not going to call you servants. This is John 15, 15. I'm not going to call you servants anymore. Servant doesn't know what his master's doing. I don't want a servant 
sort of hierarchical relationship with an uneven relationship. But I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my Father. Definition of friendship, you just don't keep secrets. You're open. And Jesus was moving towards creating uh, friends. He fully shared himself, fully shared what he'd heard from the Father. They grew to trust and love one another. An inevitable part of being part of a discipleship community is intentional one-to-one friendship where life, real life is transmitted and growth takes place. So Paul says things like this in 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. You know, you know how we treated each one of you as a father treats his own children, exhorting and encouraging you and insisting you live in a way worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. How does a father teach his children? A good father teaches his children in a one-to-one, uh, individualized way. And... Uh, I would say um, I, my, my observation is, and I've been around many years, I do not know anyone who is go- going on for Jesus who does not have one or two friends who meet with them not just to hang out, but to be intentional about their faith. And when I say intentional about their faith, intentionally sharing their lives, praying for one another, reading and discussing what they're learning. When we meet, uh, when these people meet, they may talk about cricket and rugby and movies and films and relationships and TV and all that sort of stuff. That's cool. But there's somewhere in it where they actually share what is happening in their story. They listen to their friend's story and together they try to listen to God's story. It's intentional. When that happens, it has the seeds not only of transformation, but transmission. When people get that sort of relating going, it cannot be contained. It just gets passed on. So Paul says to Timothy, um, what you've heard and learned and uh, see from me, uh, well, I've got the wrong passage there, but he said uh, basically... um, and trust what you heard me say in the presence of many witnesses to faithful people who will be competent to teach others also. There's a transmission factor. Now, I meet weekly with a friend called Tom, and Tom and I have been meeting for a couple of years. It all started because he kind of fell in love, <laughs> and he uh, developed this relationship with a lovely girl, Meredith, and Meredith is just a full-on follower of Jesus, and Tom didn't know where he was. But they had this friendship going, and, uh, and they thought, Tom thought, oh, I need to find some way to kind of check out what this is about, because this lovely girl is obviously very important. So they jacked up, uh, must have thought about it a bit, and jacked up that we, Philippa and I and Tom and Meredith, would meet at a cafe. So we met at a cafe, it was kind of awkward really, but anyway, we had a nice time getting to know one another, and then out of that, Tom uh, and I agreed we'd read the Bible, and we read through the Gospel of John. 
took about a year. Uh, then I think we read Acts um, and a few other passages, uh, other books. And Joe's garage, week after week, simple little deal. Come to the Bible, read it, not out loud. Well, actually, we did read it out loud. One, one listened and the other one read. Uh, I mean, this guy, he's a top engineer. I mean, but happy to sit and read the Bible in the, in the cafe. And then little by little, God worked and his faith became real to him. Um, and I had the pleasure of uh, marrying him up at... Uh, I didn't mar- he, marry, marrying he and uh, Meredith. It was a lovely wedding under this Pahuta Kawa tree in the Marlborough Sounds. It was just a fantastic thing. Uh, and so they're, now they're married. Well, we met Joe's Garage this week. Uh, and uh, guess what we were discussing? We were discussing who he could read the Bible. And he's thinking about that. And he's got a, a chap in mind who actually works with him. And he's a guy who helped me build a spit roast for the students. And he's kind of a wee bit isolated. And so Tom was thinking, uh, well, maybe I get alongside him. But he's, he's a reserved Englishman and he's not sure how to do it. But I think he's going to do it. Going to be a bit risky but he's going to take an initiative. I can see they're going to read the Bible together somewhere along the line. You see what's happening here? Going deep, a relationship, the transmission of life, it has the seeds of transmission. So what we're saying here is discipleship is about learning. And learning takes place through relationships, not online, not through lectures, not courses, but primarily and overwhelmingly through real relationships with real people. And for this to happen, it has to be focused and intentional. Now, this morning, if this is resonating with you, can I make a couple of suggestions? If you are someone who, like my friend Tom, would like to get a bit of individual input and encouragement or try to figure out what Christianity is all about, find a way to meet with someone who can help you. Probably uh, someone in this church you know well enough to talk to about that. If not, talk to Rob or Monica or one of the leaders. Don't muck around. If you're realizing that you are a little disconnected relationally and want to move beyond attending, see if you can join a small group. It's a no-brainer. Or set one up. If you are sensing God is wanting you to make a contribution or take an initiative to help someone else, begin praying about it. Again, letting Rob or one of the other leaders know that you're interested in helping and encouraging others. Uh, can be really cool because he may have may be able to make some connections. And if you're already doing this stuff in one way or the other, don't give up. Keep at it. It can be tough at times. But the rewards are outstanding. And, and we are following in the footsteps of Jesus when we relate in this way. Can I pray for us? Father God, we thank you uh, that you love us one-to-one.
personally, intimately. And we're just so grateful for that love. Thank you that you accept us, you understand us inside out. Uh, you know uh, what's happening to us, you know where we're headed, you know what's going to happen to us. And Lord, you want us to be people who are enjoying that relationship with you. Enjoying it so much that we're able to share it with others and enjoy it with others. Father, I pray that uh, you would help all of us. And in various ways you will have um, got us thinking this morning. Just pray you would help us to follow through on what you've raised for us. However small a step it involves, give us the courage to take it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.